Good morning. My name is Jacob Lancaster. I am one of the interns here at Boone United Methodist Church. I'm not Reverend Ed Glaze, as you heard. He is out today, but uh, won't you join me in prayer? Holy God, thank you for the gifts which you put in our lives. Plant them in us, nurture them, cultivate them. May they grow to bear fruit in our lives, in the lives of those around us, in our communities, and in our world. God, this is something only you can do. So please do. Amen. Today, our, we're continuing in our summer psalm series with Psalm 13. So I invite you to join me in responsive reading. I will uh, read the leader, the first part, and then you will read the text in bold as it is on the screen. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. But I trusted in your steadfast love. I will sing to the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Hold on, let me grab my water because I get thirsty when I'm talking. Thank you. So I don't know if any of, any of y'all have ever seen someone do this, but one of the funniest things that I have seen like some writers or poets do is to write some sort of written piece or some poem about how they have a difficult time writing. Anyone seen that before? I remember reading, I remember reading a poem in one of my college English classes, and this guy had like 25 lines about how sometimes it was difficult for him to write and how even as he was writing this poem, it was tough for him to really express what he wanted to in that writing process. So I think that's pretty silly, but I'm going to do the exact same thing today when I'm preaching. Um, when, when I was preparing to preach today, I, I found out yesterday at 10 o'clock in the morning that I was preaching today, which is a great experience, I think, for someone going in ministry, because sometimes you're invited to speak God's word really quickly. Um, <laughs> And so, here I am, here I am standing before you, and, I, and I'm glad to be in worship with you today. But I was, I was looking at this psalm, looking at Psalm 13, and I, I tend to, when I'm preparing for sermon, I, I try to sit with this, the scripture text, and I try to be in a prayerful posture and think about, what is it that God wants me to say to the people to whom I'm preaching? And I, I was really connecting with these first four verses of this psalm. I, I felt like they really named some of the experiences I have, and I thought that maybe they would name things that, that you have experienced in your life. But the closing line of the psalm was really odd, perplexing, confusing to me. We hear at first there's this loud cry to God, expressing pain and despair. How long, O Lord? 
How long will this pain last? How long will this dark time go on? And then in the psalm, there's this plea for God to help, which makes sense. But then I get confused when I see this confession in in verses 5 and 6 that there's trust in God. And I I was confused about this, this combination of grief and hope. And I was trying to figure out, how, how do I bring that into this sermon? When I, when I preach, I like to think about how the sermon can really apply in lives, how we can live out the scripture. But I was thinking, well, this is tough. How do you bring hope in a time of grief? So, so my first thought was, well, okay, maybe this is just like, this is very simple. This is just the psalmist is going through this time and saying, this is really tough. I've had all this grief, had this hard time, but uh, now I just need to trust in God. And I was like, okay, well, that, that's something really simple, but I, I don't always find something like that to be particularly helpful when I'm going through a tough time. If I'm crying out, how long, O oh Lord, is this going to last? If I'm experiencing pain and disconnection and despair, I don't want someone to just say, well, just trust in God. It'll be all right. I don't want these platitudes. And so I was like, all right, well, that's a little overly simplistic. That doesn't seem like a way that will really helpfully engage the problem of suffering in our lives. So my second thought was like, well, maybe there's something in this psalm about like how we get through the suffering times. Maybe if we go through the verses like just in order, maybe there's some sort of process that the psalmist is commending to us that will help us get through the tough times. But, but the thing is, as I was thinking about that process, I realized, I realized a really key, really key thing. I don't have this whole life and faith thing figured out. God's still working on me. My journey is still going on. And in my own experience of hard times, it seems like getting through them has been more of a mystery. I don't, I don't know how, what, what to do. I don't know what steps to go through. I, I, I did not find any wiki guides on uh, the internet that express like with those kind of weird kind of sort of realistic but kind of cartoony-ish drawings about what to do. I know that certain dispositions have been helpful, but I could very easily become very arrogant and dishonest about my ability to control my life if I got up and started telling you, well, if you're going through a hard time today, this is, you need to start here, go here, go here, and go here. But my life isn't necessarily something that I really have control over. And so I realized the honest and faithful thing to preach today wasn't a sermon about how to get through tough times, but rather I wanted to share part of my story. I wanted to share a testimony of my experience when I cried, God, how long? I want to testify that in some mysterious way in my life and in the life of the, the psalmist, God hears us and God will respond. So let me tell you a story. As some of you may know, I went to High Point University for undergrad. And I remember I was so excited. HP is very big on marketing. They like to give you all the shirts. They give you a little flag to put on your car as your parents are moving in. Of course, driving down the highway, that gets a little bent. And so I remember moving in all excited. And colleges always are often painted to be this exciting new experience where you're jumping into new communities and you're meeting new people and you're learning new things and you're just growing and growing. But when, when I moved into my freshman dorm and 
very soon into my freshman year of undergrad, I realized this isn't exactly happening for me. I was doing fine in classes. I joined some student groups. I was in band and uh, some of the chapel, uh, the chapel group. And I was connecting with my professors, but I didn't find connection with my peers. I didn't, I didn't know how to do the, the friend thing. I didn't know how to do the thing outside of the classes. And, and one climactic night, I even remember lying in bed, and I was very upset Below me, and for those of you who have been to college, this may not be surprising, below me, in the room below me, music was noisily thumping at an, at an hour, which I did not think that should be happening. But this music was both an impediment to me sleeping, but it was also an audible sign of my lack of connection with others. Others had apparently found their group and were listening to music loudly in the room beneath me, and yet I felt very alone, I, was, I remember just praying like, I, I remember praying a, a, a prayer almost like this psalm. How long, oh God, is this going to last? It looks like everyone else has found their community. It looks like they found connection. Am, am I just going to be alone forever? The thing which got me through that time wasn't necessarily something I did, but as I waited, God did hear my prayer and God responded. Before I realized the significance, God had led me to meet uh, a friend in one of uh, my religion classes, and she was a senior religion major. Her name was Tiffany. Tiffany was also a leader of the the campus ministry group that I had joined, and Tiffany graciously accepted this young, ignorant, upset college, college boy and invited me into friendship. So I remember doing homework together. Um, she invited me uh, when... She would go out to eat with people, and I gradually built a a group of friends around me. And really throughout most of my college experience, I think that that's one of the big things I would say I learned. I learned what it means to be in community, and I connect with the people, and I connect with God, so much to the point that by my senior year, I would say that, that the faith journey is truly about becoming friends with God and becoming friends with one another. But the thing about the cry, how long, is that sometimes it, do, it goes away or it seems to go away, but it comes back. And so at the end of my undergrad experience, I was, I was doing well. I was doing well in classes. I was a leader in some campus ministries, and I was continuing to play in some of the music groups on campus. And I had overcome this freshman barrier and found a bunch of friends. But then it felt like it was all ripped away. When the pandemic happened, I was sent to my parents' house in Monroe, where I lived for five months before moving to Durham to start at Duke Divinity School. That was certainly not easy, and it was at least a little bit isolating at times, but I had this hope and this sense of like, well, once I get back into like this community space where I'm not just staying at home in a town that I didn't actually grow up in, um, it'll be better. But then I started at Duke, and it happened again. Again, I realized that the issues that I had in school was not necessarily the classes, but the being a person part. I could do readings and write papers, but I did not know how to build friendship. The pandemic especially made it hard to meet people. I spent time on Zoom calls and in my room just reading and processing things all on my own. And I don't know about you, but I have a lot of difficulty trying to connect with people over digital means. And one of the things that made this really difficult was that 
like I said, I had come to so greatly treasure the friendship I experienced in undergrad, so much so that I would say that that was fundamental to what I understood to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to walk a journey alongside others with God. So I got really angry. I felt like God had abandoned me. I remember praying to God, what's going on? I'm isolated and disconnected again. I thought I was done with this. I thought I had learned. I thought this was a singular challenge at one point in my life. I found community only to have it ripped away, and I felt like God might be teasing me, like someone setting a meal before me and then ripping it away after I'd taken one bite. I remember praying, Will you forget me forever, O God? Would I forever just bounce from place to place, sometimes finding connection, but then just being alone and isolated for most of my life? I ask, are you a God who responds? Are you a God who hears? I ask God, how long? Have you ever cried how long? Have you ever experienced a seemingly never-ending time of disappointment or pain? Have you ever entered into a time of darkness where it felt like maybe God had forgotten you? The hope in this psalm is that God is still faithful, but the leap from grief to hope is not an easy one. I was, so that, that story, for me, that's how I connect with this psalm, but I was still processing, how, do I, how did I move from hope? So as, as I was preparing, I, I talked with Ed a little bit about, since he had been preparing, and um, he kind of led me to think about the story that, of David. This psalm is a psalm of David, and we think that this psalm was written during the time when David was on the run from King Saul. David was running from Saul for eight to nine years, and he was suffering physically. He was on the run, living in caves. He was suffering emotionally. He had been rejected, and he was suffering even spiritually. David had been, you may may remember the story, David had defeated the Philistine giant Goliath on the battlefield and got praise and acceptance by King Saul for being a mighty warrior. And then David went on, and he was actually one of, the, one of Saul's greatest military leaders, and he was very successful in defeating the Philistine, army, Philistine armies that Israel was fighting against. And yet, as David, as David was going through that time, Saul started to get jealous. And Saul had heard that David had been anointed um, by Samuel the prophet, and so Saul started chasing David because he was afraid and threatened by David's anointed kingship. And so David, this champion against the Philistines, found himself at one point even in in the town of Gath, where Goliath was from, in the town of his enemies, and where he was forced to act like he had gone insane so that they wouldn't try to hurt him. He let slobber fall down his face, and he was scratching at doorways. He eventually did gather some supporters and friends during his time of persecution, and he and about 600 men set up in Ziklag. But then they had had some military triumphs, and it looked like maybe things was looking up for David, but they returned back to their home settlement and found that it had been destroyed and all their families had been taken away and captured. And so D- David and his men were, of course, angry, but his men were angry at David 
because they blamed him, and they actually tried to stone him. But David was promised to be king. He was the man after God's own heart. How long ago had it been that Samuel anointed him with oil with God's own blessing of David as king? Is this what the blessing of kingship would look like for David? It shouldn't be much of a surprise that David would utter these words if he was being honest. Promises of blessing and kingship had turned into a life of loss, evasion, and threat of death from both Saul, one of his early mentors, and even the men who had committed to staying with him. But David had the courageous vulnerability to speak these words from his heart in this psalm. He named to God his sense of frustration and despair. The promise was slipping away. It seemed his enemies would conquer him. And so David cries out, How long? How long must he suffer? How long shall his enemy triumph over him? He calls out to God, Consider me and answer me, O Lord my God. But then in the end, and I name my surprise again, he speaks to God and says this, But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Somehow David still had hope. I might have stopped after those first four verses. I might have expressed where I was, but I didn't know how things were going to end because I felt like I had already been through this time of struggle. I already figured this out. Where's the hope? Because I thought I was done with this. Something helped David express confidence in God, even though Saul was on a campaign to kill him, even though he had spent eight to nine years on the run away from his home. And think about this passage. Uh, Pastor Ed pointed me to something significant. You may remember that David was extremely close to to Saul's son, Jonathan. They were forced apart when David had to run away to avoid getting killed by Saul. But at one point, when Saul was getting close to finding him, Jonathan came to David and reassured him, saying, Do not be afraid, for the hand of my father Saul will not find you. Jonathan spoke words of encouragement to David. First Samuel tells us in doing this that Jonathan strengthened his hand through the Lord. Jonathan spoke hope into David's life, hope which helped him keep his trust in God. And he would eventually be saved from his enemies and ascend to the throne. But what gives us hope? What gives us hope that grief isn't the end of our story? How can we make the shift from grief to hope? Well, in my story, I don't have an easy step-by-step process. As I said, I don't have a list of of, uh, what to do when you're going through a dark time. And in the face of disconnection, I found my, my healing, my saving from that experience was kind of a surprise. Like I'd been walking or driving somewhere and then suddenly just found myself in new surroundings. I'm not sure I had the faith of David, but I experienced the same grace of God which protected and kept David safe in his time of trouble. In, in my journey, I want to name two things which I think have been important for my hope. First of all, one of the things we have talked about throughout this Summer of Psalms series is that the Psalms give us the ability to speak honestly to God. Last week, Ed talked about um, how God can receive our anger, 
are curses, even if those curses and that anger is directed to God. Likewise, in this psalm, we see an honest expression. David tells God truly how he feels. How long, O God? I can pray this psalm to name my experience of frustration at this ongoing time of darkness. And this is really important. As some people say, the first step is to acknowledge you have a problem. Or as Sam reminded us in his testimony a few weeks ago in Gathering the Lawn, starting with the truth, the truth will set you free. So in my extremely difficult time, I have found that naming what I was feeling, naming what I was experiencing, has been helpful. In some way, it has given me a sense of relief because it, where, what I was experiencing was no longer this dark mystery, but I was able to at least say, hey, I'm not doing well. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how long this is going to go on. And then it was no longer burning inside me. Now I was sharing my burden with God. I was sharing my burden with others. Now the other thing which helped me is much more mysterious. Somehow, God has worked in my life to help me make it through a difficult transition, a difficult time. Just like God put my friend Tiffany into my life, one of the things that I didn't realize at the time but was, has been one of the greatest blessings of my life was that my brother took a gap year. Now, this may not seem very exciting, but what that meant was that uh, after he graduated from undergrad, he was working at a, a pharmaceutical plant in Morrisville, right outside of Durham. So he was able to live with me and one of his friends who's also going to Duke with me. And that, as I was thinking about David's story, I thought about the, the similarities where for David, his friend, brother, beloved one, Jonathan, came to him in his time of need. And I think about how my brother was God's messenger for me. I think, I think my brother is a much wiser person than I am. Um, I think he could be a really, really great pastor if he wanted to, but he feels called to be a chemist. And I guess we do need some people that do that and do math. Uh, but I, he was someone who was able to listen to me. He didn't prescribe what I should do, but he expressed hope that I would find connection, that I would find community. This mystery is something I'm still trying to understand. When I was thinking about this turn in verses 5 through 6 of this psalm, from how long, O oh God, to but I trusted in your, you, I realized it, it's not about just having a positive state of mind, an attitude of gratitude, some people say. Or, and it's not about denying the reality of suffering. Some of you may have seen this on Facebook. There's, there's this... Uh, a cartoon that I, I, I've seen a few times where it shows this little cartoon dog sitting in a house that's on fire. Um, and it just shows him sitting there. And then the next slide, he's sitting there and he says, this is fine. Well, I, I don't think that that's what this is about. Getting through times of suffering isn't about saying, well, it's not actually that big of a deal. But rather, I, I think the, the key word in what this psalm is saying is, but I trusted in God. This is not certainty. And it's not just a belief, but it's a level of commitment. For me, I found at some point during my journey, God helped me understand what I was going through and helped me honestly name where that was. And I, I realized that I was committed to the hope that I would find community, 
that this time of suffering for me would, would end. And so I can't, can't say that I'm fully out of the tunnel yet. I think transitions are always difficult. I think the pandemic has been difficult. But I find myself in a space that's better. I found connection. I found support. And I find that I do have hope. And I, I know that when I cry, oh God, how long, I can be confident that God is somehow, some way working within me. So I opened this sermon talking about the struggle to link grief and hope. And as may, you may have noticed, I don't have really any easy answers or solutions. You might not even thought my story was helpful. But I shared my story because I wanted to say this is the hope that I have in the how long periods of our life. I have hope that God does hear and somehow, some way, God will respond to the tough times. We might not have control. We might not always know the way, but the same God who has done mysterious things and healing things in my life is able to do the same for you. The same God who used Jonathan to encourage David can encourage you. Let us pray. Holy God, thank you for listening to us. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to testify how you have been in my life. God, I pray that you empower us to be people who find the healing in speaking the truth of where we are. Help us to be vulnerable. Help us to be honest. God, I pray you enable us to open ourselves to what you want to do in our lives. Heal us. Save us. And God, please empower us as well to be the people who serve you and deliver this message of hope and encouragement to others as well. Thank you for your grace and be with us always. Amen.